0: are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we will turn in our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 3, continuing our trek through this great book. We come to Leviticus chapter three. And you remember that Leviticus is answering something of a problem. Israel comes to build their tabernacle and God descends upon the tabernacle, but Israel can't enter. God is there. They built the tabernacle as God required, but Israel can't come near to God. And Leviticus is a long answer to how can God's people approach a holy God? And it begins with five sacrifices. We've seen the burnt offering, the grain offering, and tonight we come to the peace offering. We're going to begin reading uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Here it speaks of the bull and the calf offering. We're going not to read the rest of the chapter, verses 6 through 17. It's uh, mostly the same thing, speaking of lambs and goats, offering those as sacrifices. Then we're actually going to switch over to flip over to chapter 7 chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, and we'll read some particular directions there for the priests about this offering. So we'll first begin Leviticus 3, 1 through 5, and then we'll jump over to Leviticus 7 and read verses 11 through 15. You should find this on page 82 of your Pew Bible, and then we'll jump over to page 85. Hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 3. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the side of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now let's turn over to chapter 7, and we'll pick up in verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, Then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priests who throw the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. As was mentioned not mentioned this evening, for more than a month, we have been shocked by the horrors of war in Ukraine. For those who are maybe younger than 25 or 30 years old who don't remember 9-11 and the subsequent war, this is probably the first time that they've seen war plastered on the front pages of newspapers or on the front page of websites. And it's shocking, it's stunning, it's terrifying. And so we pray for peace in Ukraine as we had just done. But the question for us to answer is what is peace? What does it mean that there is peace? Is it merely the absence of war? John Lennon wrote his great song, Imagine. It's a great tune. Many call this an anthem of peace. And he describes what he thinks peace would be in the world. And if you don't know the song, I'll remind you. He says, this place of peace, he says, imagine if we could come to this kind of place where there's no heaven, there's no hell, people living for the moment, no countries, nothing to kill or to die for, it's no religion, no possessions. This is his image of what he believes peace ought to be, but the biblical view of peace is far different from that of John Lennon's. It's far deeper than that of simply the absence of war. The peace offering that we are speaking of in Leviticus 3 this evening, the root of this word peace and peace offerings is the word shalom, which you've probably heard before the Hebrew word that means peace, but it's not a a surface-level peace. It's not merely merely the absence of violence or war, but it means something deeper that all is right between God and man and his creation. There's a cosmic peace, a closeness of God and man. Other names uh, translators offer for this peace offering, some call it a fellowship offering, fellowship between God and man. Some call it a well-being offering. It demonstrates the well-being now that we have between God and man. Some call it a shared offering, a communion sacrifice. But I do think peace offering helps get at the fact that this offering is demonstrating the peace that we have with God, as we will see peace offering was not a standard daily sacrifice made by the priests, unlike the previous ones, the burnt offering and the grain offerings. These were offered every day by the priests, but the peace offering was not. There are certain times, special times in the history of Israel, where these were offered. We read this morning of the uh, Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem, and there peace offerings were offered. And other times during Israel's history, but it was also offered by individuals. Primarily, it seems to have been offered by individuals. As the burnt offering, to refresh our, our mind, it emphasizes atonement. It emphasizes the necessity of, of blood being sacrificed to reconcile God and man, to bring us to God. The grain offering, then, emphasizes tribute to the king, bringing an offering of thanks to the king, our allegiance that we bring to Him. And so the peace offering is different from these two in that it demonstrates a peace that is already there, a fellowship that we already enjoy with God. It's demonstrating that in space, time for us. God invites us to a joyous feast with Him on the basis of the peace Christ has achieved for us. We'll look at the practice of this peace offering and then the meaning of the peace offering. So let's look at the practice. How did this happen? What did Israel do? Well, as we saw in Leviticus 7 when we read there, we read the first of three kinds of peace offerings. Peace offering is a generic category and there's different kinds. And Leviticus spells out three different kinds. We read of the Thanksgiving offering. Thanksgiving offering, it's a response to something God has done, an act of God's kindness and goodness. And you respond in Thanksgiving by bringing this peace offering. Another kind of peace offering is the vow offering. In response to a vow you make to the Lord, say, oh Lord, please hear my request. And should you be pleased to answer it, I will perform a vow for you. And this is part of when God fulfills this request, part of that performing the vow is bringing a sacrifice to him. And then the third kind of peace offering is a free will offering, spontaneous. Anytime you want to bring this offering to the Lord, you can bring it of your own free will, any time. This peace offering had these different subdivisions, but they all generally had the same, uh, the same mechanics. And it began with the worshiper bringing an animal to the temple or the tabernacle. It would bring, we read of a cow or a calf. There's, uh, the rest of chapter three speaks of bringing sheep or goats to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, this could be male or female, unlike the burnt offering, which had to be male. This could be male and female, but it must be unblemished. And here, no doubt, they would declare what God has done for them, why they're bringing it. Certainly, there is a call to worship from Psalms, maybe Psalm 107. And maybe they would sing another Psalm, maybe Psalm 26 or 50, 54, 100, 116, praising God for what he's done. And then the worshiper would place his hand on the animal. As we saw with the burnt offering, he would then kill the offering. Here, the offering would be divided up and parts of it would go to the priest. We didn't read this part later in chapter 7 of Leviticus, but the priest would keep the breast and the right thigh and they could take that home and that would be part of their meal as a family. And then the offer would bring four kinds of bread. So with this offering, they were required to bring bread as well. Four different kinds that we read and they had to bring one loaf of each and present those to the priest. And those, again, went to the priest's home so the priest could enjoy it with his family. Something of payment to allow them to live and to sustain their families. And so once the offerer did this, bringing the animal, killing the animal, divvying up its various parts, cutting off the fat that we read earlier, then the priest would take the blood from that offering and splash it upon the altar. And we've talked about this with the grain, or with the burnt offering. And then the priest would burn the fat and the kidneys and the liver upon the altar. Now, it's a little bit unsure. What does the fat mean? Because sometimes fat can just mean the best part of something. So the fat of the wheat is the best part of the wheat. So maybe here, the fat of the offering is the best part of the offering would be put on the fire and offered to God. Or maybe it did just mean what we would think of as the fat. Not entirely sure, but part of this would be offered up to God. And this whole time, remember, faith is an essential component of this. This is not going through the motions. This is God blessing His people through this, and people responding in praise and adoration of their God. And the two most significant components of this remain here for us to discuss. The first is this peace offering had to be offered on top of the burnt offering. This peace offering was not something that could be offered on its own. It had to be offered after. A burnt offering. Remember, the burnt offering was a whole cow or a sheep or a goat or, or a bird. And this burnt offering speaks of the reconciliation between God and man on the basis of blood shed, a substitute for the offerer. And so, because of this substitutionary sacrifice, now we can bring this offering of peace. The guilt is removed. And this removal of guilt opens up a whole world of fellowship with God being with him, him drawing near to his people. And this peace continues to signify what this burnt offering has achieved. Those who are dead, it's a reminder, those who are dead in their sin cannot come to God in thanksgiving and praise and worship. There's no peace and fellowship for them. It's a a reminder that death and a substitutionary atonement is required. Before peace with God. So, this is one of, the, one of the most significant pieces of this offering. It was offered after the burnt offering. But, second is this, and this is what really makes this distinctive in the practice of this offering. A majority of the meat offered was taken home for a feast. It wasn't offered there on the altar. Like the burnt offering, the entire thing had to be burnt up and offered to the Lord. But this majority was taken home. The offerer was required to take it home and was required to eat it all that day or the day after, depending on the kind. And this meal is a demonstration of peace between God and man. It's a feast. This is a lot of meat. A cow can produce something between 450 and 600 pounds of meat. Imagine that kind of feast. Can you imagine? A goat, 80 to 100 pounds. A sheep, it's only 35 to 50 pounds of meat. That's our our little Thanksgiving turkeys are nothing compared to these. Imagine the feast that was prepared after this. So you bring it home and you invite all your neighbors. Say, look at what the Lord has done. Let's have a big party. So the peace offering was essentially a party offering. This is a celebration, a rejoicing in salvation. You can sit down and have a meal they could prepare as much bread as they wanted. The rabbis at certain times stipulated that they had to have at least 40 loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread to go with a lot of meat for a big party, for the offerer and his family and neighbors and friends to come. So there's fellowship around this meal, enjoying what God has given. And think about it meal, meals are significant. When you get to know somebody, what do you do? You go have a meal with them, you invite them into your home, you go out to lunch. When people are dating, the the low-pressure way is to go to coffee first. You don't go to a meal first. And then if you like it, maybe then you'll go to a meal later. Because a meal is significant. We're sharing life together. To celebrate, you have a meal. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. When the man came back, when the son came back to his father, what did the father do? Say, I am rejoined to my son. He is back a part of the family. Let's throw a feast to celebrate this wonderful relation I share with my son. Weddings, birthdays, retirements, holidays, of course, Thanksgiving, are all meals meant to celebrate an intimacy, a a close connection we share. And of course, the meal fosters that as well. And this is a meal set by God for his people. He says, come, I'm inviting you to eat with me to celebrate the the salvation, the joy of your salvation that I've given you. And this is ultimately a picture of eternal life. As Jesus said, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, I won't eat this meal until I eat with you in my kingdom. The feast will be spread. Eternal life is described as a feast. And we get a small glimpse of it here in the Old Testament feast that Israel could, could have on the basis of the atonement, you have a feast, feast of peace with God. So this is the practice. We're getting into the meaning. So let's turn and think of the meaning of this offering, the peace offering. There's two things that we'll highlight here, the meaning of this. And we've been, we've been on this theme already. First, there is peace between God and man. There is peace between God and man. And this leads us to consider Christ himself. This peace was not only attained by Christ, though, as we think of the burnt offering, but this peace is embodied in Christ. Now, before all time, before all creation, the second person of the Trinity who became incarnate as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, enjoyed perfect eternal communion with his Father before time began. And that never has ceased the first and the second and the third persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have forever shared the perfect fellowship, perfect peace and harmony that we cannot even begin to fathom. But once the eternal Son of God became incarnate, he now was reconciling to the Father humanity. And the God-man, Jesus Christ, achieves perfect fellowship with God in his humanity. And so for the first time in history, humanity is reconciled to God and enjoying perfect community because of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. And we see as a result in Philippians 2, a result of his obedience to death, he's been exalted as we spoke of this morning. He's been exalted to share fellowship and communion with the Father in his humanity as well. So the highest communion that humanity can share with God is embodied in Jesus Christ as the incarnate son communes with his father. What a glorious, perfect communion that they share, the the son's sense of perfect joy and peace with the father. This is the sort of communion humanity was designed for but never was able to achieve before. We were designed for it. Adam failed to achieve it, and so Christ has done it for us. And so because Christ has now is embodying that communion between us and the Father, we are invited to enter into Christ's perfect fellowship and peace with the Father. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of this sacrifice. The sacrifice points us to the, our now in Christ, our ability to participate in the communion of the incarnate Son with his Father. We are called to enjoy the Father through the Son. The consummate fellowship between the Father and the Son is now something we can enjoy in worship, primarily. In worship, we participate in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father, as J.B. Torrance reminds us. We, now God's people, we participate in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father, this communion of peace and of joy. We get to experience the perfect love between the Father and the Son as the Father now delights to smile upon you and me. The joy that we can now experience because of the Father's smile. What a joyous union this is. God delights to know his people. He delights to be called father. And so he doesn't keep us at an arm's length. So he reconciles us to him by his son incarnate. Salvation is not a dry, boring, or sterile thing. But we are invited to draw near to the creator of heaven and earth. To find satisfaction and wholeness and peace in him. And so we experience only the beginning now as heaven awaits us where we will experience God to the full. And one of the ways God demonstrates this peace with us is in the Old Testament with this peace offering, but now in the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment in a way, of this Old Testament sacrifice where God says, there is peace and I will commune with you. That is exactly what happens at the table. There is now peace because of the blood of Christ, and we commune with God. We know his grace and his mercy. And so the Lord's Supper, like the peace offering, commemorates and confirms all of these realities, the joy and the peace we have in Christ. This is also a reminder for all of us that Without Christ, there is no peace. No Christ, no peace. The burnt offering is a necessity to enjoy any kind of feast and fellowship and communion with the Father. So there is peace between God and man, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ, only through union with him. And so first, that is the meet one, the first meaning, having peace between God and man and Jesus Christ. And second, second meaning is that we can offer a peace offering. Jewish Jewish rabbis would say that when the Messiah comes, all of the sacrifices would be done away with except for the peace offering. Interesting, I wouldn't say it quite the same way, but they hit on something important. And the peace offering is still something we continue to celebrate, participate in, and offer to God. Not that Christ was insufficient in any way, shape or form, but because what it's commemorating, what it's showing is something that we can continue to know today. We read earlier from Hebrews 13, and in Hebrews 13:15, it uses a fascinating phrase, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of praise. and if I recall correctly, this is the only place in Scripture where that term is used in the New Testament, that is. And this praise the Greek word there for praise is the same word translated in Leviticus 7 when, the Greek, when they made the Greek translation of the Hebrew. When it translated the word thanksgiving, we have, they translated it the sacrifice of praise. And so what I think is happening here is when the, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is actually pulling on this idea of the sacrifice of thanksgiving, calling it the sacrifice of praise, saying we're offering it up today. He calls us, we read earlier to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a peace offering to God. Through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And if this is correct, then there's the same sacrifice we offer. We render ourselves a sacrifice to God. It's the same sacrifice, but a different form now. And there's a couple things that are mentioned in Hebrews for us to render a sacrifice of praise to God. First is lips, to acknowledge his name. Part of our sacrifice is acknowledging Christ, to praise him, to sing his his praises, to pray, to acknowledge God's name to others. And so we can continue today to offer these sacrifices by worshiping by lifting up our voices, by singing loudly from the heart of the love of our God and the grace of his works. Hebrews also tells us to do good, to do good for one another, to do works that honor God, to give of our money, to give of our time. These things they are not earning our salvation, but they are a response to it. We can continue to render our very selves, our time, everything to God. And he says, to share, to share what you have. Because this is pleasing to God. And this harkens back to sharing a feast together. How the Old Testament Israelites shared this feast, invited their neighbors into their homes, say, look at this sacrifice, this peace offering. Let us share it together. Enjoy the salvation of our God together. And so we can share that. We can share our lives. We can share everything that we have together. This is pleasing to God. These things are a natural overflow of knowing God, knowing real peace, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we get to draw near to him. But the key to all of this, as Hebrews 13 says, is it is through Christ. Through Christ, we offer these imperfect offerings to God. We stand participating in that perfect relationship between the Father and the Son, the invitation of the peace offering is an invitation to come and enjoy the riches of God. So the result of that burnt offering is that we can know joy and fellowship with God and his people in this peace offering. The problem that Leviticus was setting out to address, that, that problem, how, how can we approach a holy God? How can we come to him? How can we dwell with him? We're beginning to unpack that. We're beginning to see the answer here. It's that atonement that leads to joy and peace. And God reminding us of those realities with these sacrifices and today with things such as his supper he sets for us. We see that peace is far more profound than the absence of war in Ukraine or the Middle East or anywhere else in the world. Yes, we pray for those things and we desire that. Absolutely. But real peace is peace between God and man. A sinful man A corrupt man, a man who has rebelled, and God on his own initiative has now come and made peace. So, as God's people, as those who stand on the ashes of the burnt offering, those who stand upon the work of Jesus Christ, we can now enjoy our salvation. We can now enjoy this peace offering. So let us enjoy the one who is peace itself, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. And so in response to that, let us offer our own sacrifice of praise with our lips, with our lives, sharing all that we have for the glory of our gracious God. Let us look to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for these truths that upon the burnt offering of Christ's death for us, there's now peace, there's now celebration, there's now joy. Lord, help us to live our lives in light of this joy, that we belong to you and we can enjoy every moment and every day knowing that you smile upon us because of your Son. We thank you for him and ask that you would assist us to sing your praises to glorify you, and to render to you sacrifices of praise from henceforth and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.